I'm Ryan Sorley, and this is Blind Spots on the Compete Network, powered by Clue. My guest today is Chris Fountain, who throughout his career has been a frequent member of the C-suite, and now he's an operating partner at Frontier Growth, a private equity firm who invests heavily in the B2B tech space. Whether Chris is acting as an executive or investor, Chris believes all the companies he supports needs to understand one fundamental part of their business. Why did we win or lose that deal? As it turns out, a lot of companies he's worked with don't actually have a formal win-loss program in place. That's where we've come in to help and how I've had the pleasure of getting to know Chris. And I'm excited for you to hear my conversation with Chris today. Hey, Chris, thanks for taking the time to join us today. My pleasure, Ryan. Appreciate the opportunity. So um, as you know, we're this episode or this season of, of Blind Spots is really focused on digging into how C-level executives and boards are leveraging win-loss insights to help drive strategic decision-making within organizations. Uh, and you know, as a partner over at Frontier Growth, I lo- would love to hear all kinds of insights from you about your relationship with win-loss. But just to get started, why don't you tell us a little bit about your role at Frontier and maybe share a little bit of insight into to who Frontier is as an organization? Sounds good. So I'll start with Frontier um, as, a, as an organization. We've been around over 20 years. Uh, we invest today only in B2B vertical SaaS software companies. Uh, we're growth stage private equity, so we're we're not investing in businesses that are in distress. And we our goal is to help them sustain or hopefully accelerate existing high growth. Uh, the companies, to get more detail, are between 5 and $15 million in annual recurring revenue. When we invest, typically it might be slightly below that if they're super high growth or maybe above that, but that's kind of the sweet spot. They've got to be growing at least in the mid-20s when we invest, and our goal is to is to play a part and help the, the founding teams take those businesses um, up to 35 to $50 million, and then, then there'll be maybe another transaction at that point. Um, the other thing I would say is that we, we like to invest in founding teams that are looking for a collaborative relationship with Frontier. We're not just a source of capital. We we pride ourselves on being able to provide some support and capability that might be helpful to the founding team. Um, and um, we're not just throw the money in and, and kind of walk away or have quarterly board meetings and see how it's going. We want to be collaborative and be in part in a partnership with the founding team. I'm an operating partner for the firm, and my role is to basically be a supporting cast member in the companies where I work. Um, but my real kind of heavy lifting starts after we invest and what I do exactly after I invest, after we invest, depends greatly on what's of the greatest interest to the founding team. So, typically, when we're we, we learn a lot in diligence, obviously. Um, so we, we kind of take that what we've learned there and, and think about how we might um, what we might focus on post investment in terms of key initiatives in the first ninety to one hundred eighty days. Uh, but that's also informed by what the founding team believes. So we will typically get together within six weeks of closing on a new, new investment. And together, we'll, we'll agree on what are the, the short-term priorities and initiatives where I can play a role and other members of the operating team at Frontier can play a role. So um, it's not a fixed model. It's, it's not We don't prescribe certain things to every company um, like, like some investors do. Um, we're, we're more kind of interested in being a supporting cast member and making sure, making very certain that there's no confusion over our role. We don't run these companies. The founders and their executive teams do all the heavy lifting and hard work. 
we want to be there to support them. And that, that's really my role is to, is to be involved directly and to orchestrate other resources in and out of the, of the, of the um, investment, you know, from time to time, depending on what becomes a priority. So we've got pricing specialists we work with. We've got sales functional specialists. We've got customer success specialists. We've got human capital capabilities that we can bring to bear. How we bring all that into the company is not not prescriptive. It's kind of adapted to what makes the most sense for the situation. So, so less of a game plan, more of a kind of a, a, a box of tools, so to speak, that can be leveraged at different times for different organizations based on what you've identified during the diligence process and the plan that you're putting in place for that particular organization. Correct. And, you know, frankly, Ryan, that's how you and I came to know each other. You know, I'll talk about this as we get into this interview, but, you know, a lot of times these companies at this stage don't have very formal product processes or they don't have very formal win-loss programs. So you, for example, have been a resource to many of our companies because you can help us close a gap around market intelligence that's really important to us. And on that note, we've we've really enjoyed uh, working with you. And I think we were connected by another Correct. resource on the pricing side of, of yours, uh, Chris, over at Software Pricing Partners. Correct. I think connected us originally. And then we realized that we knew, uh, we both knew Bruce Richardson, right? right? Uh, over at AMR Research, where I used to work years ago. Uh, but when you think about the that that box of tools and and how you're leveraging win loss in particular, how do you know like this is a great company for this type of market intelligence program? Like, what's the timing that you tend to make a soft you know recommendation to those portfolio companies? It's a good question. Again, it's not fixed. Um, I would say the other thing about you know the initial investment, we're always looking for product market fit. If you're between five and fifteen million dollars in ARR. You've got, you've clearly got some market traction and there's a presumption there's product market fit. We look for companies that have superior product market fit. Obviously we're looking at the competitive landscape on the way in, but we're not on the way in. We don't, we don't have access to all the information. And so when it comes to a program like what, what you've provided to our portfolio companies in the past, we're looking for that next layer of detail. And, and frankly, Ryan, if you look at the kind of the long list of things that we can get done. One of the first things we focus on is trying to make sure there's a lot of clarity around the ideal customer profile. So if you think about the target market is in terms of like a uh, like a bullseye and a one ring away from the bullseye, two rings away from the bullseye, we want to make sure we have a very clear definition of the center of that bullseye. And that's all about where we where do we have the best level of differentiation? Where do we create the most value for for a, uh, a customer? Where does it where does customer attention superior? Where is sales friction as low as possible, you know, because you've got great points of differentiation and a very relevant value prop, et cetera. So that's one of the things we do. The win-loss is in, in forms of a lot of things. Um, it wouldn't be the first thing we would do typically because, again, there are a lot of, a lot of bowling pins to kind of knock down. Um, but as you, as you work to professionalize a company, one of the things that you need to understand is, you know, at, where the rubber hits the road, which is a new deal that's won or lost, or a customer that's retained or not retained. What is exactly happening? And in my experience, because prior to Frontier, I, I ran companies, software companies, right. growth stage software companies. Um, from my experience, doing that kind of organically, internally, the sales rep will have a perspective, but it's not necessarily the as granular as you'd like, to, like it to be. 
or as objective as you'd like it to be. No offense to salespeople. I, I was one. Um, but a third party can actually bring a lot more depth and credibility to understanding what really happened in that one that deal that was won or lost. Um, and the same thing on a, on a churn event. If somebody's churning, really understanding the, the reason for that. So I would say it's it's an important arrow in the quiver at the right time. But there are other things that we we want to that kind of build, you need to build upon, and then get into that really well informed um, win loss data and churn churn data. And I know in working with with you and Frontier, a lot of the portfolio companies that we have supported have been very transparent with uh, with you about the data that's been collected. They'll share the reports with you at the board level. Um, I know that we've presented at your some of your board meetings to provide uh, our findings. How do you would you know when you when you're in the boardroom and you're sitting down with your your portfolio founders or leadership team? How do you typically use win-loss data, whether it's a presentation or just the data uh, on its own, as, as kind of a tool for driving the discussion and then ultimately um, having that discussion lead to specific actions uh, coming out of those board meetings? It's a great question. So first of all, the board meeting, what's, what's presented at the board level should be a distillation of what the management team is using to run the company. Again, boards shouldn't run companies. Boards are there in an oversight right. capacity. Um, and we, the way we operate, you know, we request a lot of data from our companies, but we want all that data to be a distillation of data that the management team uses to run the company. It shouldn't be a special report for us. It should be a distillation of stuff they're already looking at to run the business. Now, when it comes to the win-loss, I think the interesting thing about that dimension of the of the vast amounts of data you can be evaluating is it touches a lot of, it's cross-functional, touches a lot of functions across the business. Um, to me, the most important is, you know, it's business strategy. Like, am I going after the right customers? If I'm doing win-loss analysis, I might figure out that, yeah, my win rate on this particular type of company isn't very good. And here's what I'm learning about those companies and what they're interested in buying. Maybe we should stop prioritizing them or take them off our list altogether. So there's a business strategy component to well-executed um, win-loss and churn. I, I think about win-loss is on a deal and then on a customer. If you lose a customer, right. it's, just, it's equally as relevant, maybe more relevant. So business strategy gets informed by that. And then below business strategy, there's a product strategy that gets informed by that. Like some of the work that you guys have done, even recent work you've done, you know, we, we've, we've determined things around how to prioritize certain features based on what we're hearing in the win-loss reporting. Because you guys are able to dig deeply and get some very granular, actionable insights that inform the product strategy. And we've got to decide, are those gaps we want to close because there's certain market opportunity related to um, those capabilities that we don't currently have that we're, we're surfacing through win-loss reporting that we're losing deals over certain capabilities that may be missing. Um, so that's a product strategy. The other thing that's related to product strategy is pricing strategy, pricing and packaging. So in your analysis, I know you dig deeply into all aspects of that relationship between the company and the, and the prospect in the case of a win-loss analysis. So you're looking at product features, you're looking at pricing um, and it, its impact on the win-loss. You look at the sales process, the way you actually approach the customer and the relationship you build or don't build during the sales process. So you're talking about impacting product strategy, pricing strategy, which you could say is kind of a corporate and product um, function. You're looking at sales process, 
even even marketing, you, your reports include things like what influenced the buying decision. So your whole go-to-market strategy can be informed by robust win-loss reporting. And then uh, your product strategy gets informed by it. And again, I think as you look at it, kind of zoom out a bit, company strategy gets informed by it. And it could be, could be there are very tactical things that you figure out that are easy to fix. Like, hey, your sales team is not clearly understanding the, the prospect's needs before they're pitching a doing a demo or pitching a, a solution. They're not as good as the, as the competition. That kind of creating empathy with the buyer. That's pretty tactical. Or it could be as strategic as you're calling down the wrong customer in the first place. Right. Yeah, it's it's really that's really interesting to hear, right? And that's exactly what we hope to hear, right? When we're looking at organizing this content in a, a way that a functional leader could actually pull out information that aligns directly to them, you know, it's super important for us to be able to to deliver that in a very cohesive way. The other piece is just on the front end of those relationships, making sure that we're um, we're tapping into the knowledge of those folks, you know, at the beginning, like, hey, you're the head of product. We want to know, like, what are your assumptions about your position in the marketplace? And what are some of the key challenges that you believe you're you're facing? And what would you like to learn through a win-loss program? So I, I know with all of the programs that we've been involved with with you, that's been a big part of it is that upfront discovery process yeah. to make sure that when the data is collected, it answers specific questions that um, the leadership team has. I guess, you know, when you when you think about growth stage companies, maybe they're not super high on the transaction volume front quite yet because they're growing. Uh, what is the sample size? I know this is kind of an off the cuff type question, but how much data do you need to be able to start to feel like, hey, there's something here or there's a problem that we need to solve or there's a challenge there um, that we need to look deeper into? And and as you think about the answer to that question, you you know, you have companies that are like Salesforce who have tens of thousands of yeah. opportunities, uh, you know, a quarter potentially. And then you have other companies who might have 10 opportunities a quarter. Right. So it's all it's all relative, right, to, to the organizations that we're supporting. But with your portfolio, what do you think is a good number of uh, data points to be able or interviews to be able to start to see trends? So I want to go back to something you said a minute ago, which is your engagement with the, with the management team. And I'll answer that, that question. I, I think it's important that every place where we worked with you, you're introduced to the management team as a resource that could be useful. We let the management team ultimately make decisions about whether or not to engage you, um, and, and that—that's the only way it works. In our view, is that we can't—we don't want to prescribe that you must use Clue to do this work. We would say they—they've got an interesting offering. Why don't you have a conversation with Ryan and his team and, and figure out if this would be useful to you? And in those cases, again, as you know, you've been engaged, but you're engaged by the management team. The board loves to see, and we in, in a recent project that well, I think you're still working. We had a report at a board meeting last week, which was kind of a distillation of here are the high-level things we're learning. Um, and uh, but that was that was executed through the management team. So just an important point there, I think. Back to the s- sample size. Um, you know, I think what's really important is when you when you do this type of analysis, you want to have clarity around various cohorts. You don't want to try to boil boil the ocean or understand the entire universe at one time. You may say. For example, um, we want to look at companies that are in this size range in this industry and see what their perception is of our solution 
and why they chose us or didn't they chose a competitor and as long it, it's rather than th- all of our companies have hundreds of customers some have thousands of customers we would never say go pick from the thousand customers pick pick 10 people to interview and give us your feedback because it, it would be too diffuse and and right and would not be statistically significant if we said 10 but if we say of that thousand we've got 90 or 100 that are of this particular size, this shape, kind of these characteristics that are common, we really want to understand what's going on in that segment of the market. Go interview 10 of them. Then 10 becomes relevant. So no matter how big or small your company is, I think it's important to define a cohort that you're most interested in and learn from that. And then you can always expand it to include other cohorts down the road. But you know, go into cohorts where there's something you're trying to figure out. And then with frankly relative, relatively few interviews, you can actually learn something that's very insightful as it pertains to that cohort, which I think is really the way to go about it. You, you kind of eat the elephant one bite at a time. I love that. I actually have an elephant right here. Um, that's a golf. <laughs> I, I actually, that's what I think about when I look at that ele- elephant. I think about Got so much to do, and I have to think about the eating the elephant one bite at right, a time. Right, <laughs> that's a that's a great analogy for uh, for me f- for sure. But it, I know we we had talked a little bit about uh, in, in the past generative AI technology. Um, have you done any any sort of looking into that technology and how you like you personally think it might change things out there um, for any type of organization? Yeah, so we do you have a, we, a view on it. If you're in yeah. the software industry, you you, you better play with Chat GPT just to understand what it's all about. Um, I was actually on a call this morning with some of my partners working, talking about we, we did a study of what our current portfolio is doing with with uh, that technology, and everybody's to a, to a to a company, 100 percent of them are either doing something currently with it with a the customer facing product they're offering, or they're looking at how to apply it internally um, in terms of their own operations building product servicing, supporting product. Um, so um, our view, my view is that it's it's revolutionary and it's something that's going to be really important uh, to any software company. Uh, we're in the B2B space. Um, again, as I mentioned, I think there's a play across B2B and B2C, frankly. Um, you already see it. Some of it, you know, some of these chatbots are really, although they may, be, may not be as bright as chat GBT, uh, for, but you know, they're, they're still kind of the similar technology. So it's an important technology. We're still trying to figure out all the different ways it can be leveraged. That's why we collected the data from our portfolio companies. We're planning to hold a webinar for our portfolio companies to have, have them share what they've learned. Uh, I can give you a, we have a new investment in a company called iPacket, which is in the auto IT space, digital vehicle presentation. And they figured out a way to help it. And that product, by the way, is all about helping dealerships, car dealerships engage with, with, consumers. So our software company is selling to car dealers. That's B2B. But the dealers, obviously, their customer is a consumer buying new Mercedes, new whatever kind of vehicle, new or used. Um, and they've actually already built a prototype where they, the technology can be used to help the car salesperson write a very kind of well well articulated um, email to that potential consumer, that that the person that's interested in, in a newer used vehicle. And it will pull data from our product into a, again, well-crafted email that looks totally customized 
And it is customized. It happens to be done. It was built by, in this case, Chet GPT. Um, and they will be able to offer their sell, the salespeople inside these dealerships a tool to improve their productivity and, frankly, create a more meaningful interaction between that salesperson and the and the potential buyer of a, pro, of a car. Um, really amazing, kind of a simple application, but something that we've already they've already done some uh, review with dealerships, you know, alpha customers to get feedback. They've gotten tremendous feedback on what it what they how they feel about what it can do for them. And that's just one example. Yeah, it, it, that's amazing. So I, I would love to be a fly on the wall during that portfolio m- company meeting that you have uh, about the topic and what different companies are doing. Uh, the, it's just, it's amazing. In, in the win-loss space, we're looking at doing all kinds of things like being able to build the program on the front end. Like we're collecting data from the stakeholders. Let's go ahead and have it summarized and organized in a very logical way to build out the learning objectives up front when we conduct the interviews and get the transcript in our hands, being able to use the the AI technology to organize the content into key finding categories. So a lot of the manual things that we have done up to this point um, will still need humans. You'll still need like great interviewers and great editors uh, to be able to work on the data, but there's just so many tools available to them right now to be able to streamline their process. So it is... Very exciting stuff. Yeah, we're also looking at how we can use it internally. That's because we're doing a lot of analysis. And right now, that's a lot of manual effort to try to synthesize all kinds of data. I mentioned market market diligence, financial diligence, legal diligence, product diligence, technology diligence. Um, and we're, we're looking internally, how can we leverage that technology to help us kind of synthesize and make sense of all the data we collect. So... Last question for you is focused on advice that you would provide to other people in your position, operating partners at investment firms, whether private equity or venture capital, who may not really be taking advantage of win-loss intelligence today or maybe have much knowledge of it. Maybe they they heard of it uh, and, and they're considering it, but don't really have a track record in in this space. What would you what what advice would you give to them about maybe how to get started and the type of value that they can expect out of the program? Well, of I, program? I think it's an it's an important arrow in the quiver that and, and frankly you can start with a very small investment and and learn what's possible. So you know this is not a massive financial commitment from my experience in working with you. You can you can take a bite sized chunk again. It gets down to that cohort. Figure out a cohort that's where you want to get smarter about what's going on with the with the um, interaction between buyer and seller, and or in the case of churn, customer and and customer success. Um, and for you know a relatively small amount of money, you can run a very well informed experiment and find out what you get back. And my my expectation is that. You know, people will find it's a very worthwhile investment because, as I as I mentioned, the data we've seen from these programs informs company strategy, product strategy, sales process, um, go to market broad, broadly go to market strategy. It may inform who you want to sell to in the first place. So, um, to me, it's an important investment to make once a company's you know kind of got the maturity to take the insights and do something with them. Right? You can't if you did it without you don't have a product management function and you try to run a program like this, 
you may get a lot of product insights that are hard to execute. So, um, but every company should have a very robust win-loss program and win-loss slash churn program. Um, and they'll find, back to your question, how would you get started? I think you can start small and then it can it can expand and it shouldn't be something that lives and breathes on an ongoing basis. It shouldn't be one and done because obviously the product's always changing, market's changing, competitive landscape is changing. And so it should be a program that, that lives and breathes. And, and I guess follow-up question to that, when you introduce it to the leadership team within portfolio companies, do you have any advice on how to maybe broach that topic with them? Is it just, you just put it out there, maybe you all should think about doing this, or how, how does it come up in conversation? So the first yeah. way it comes up, we always ask for win-loss analysis. We don't, it, you ask them for it. We okay. always ask them just for the generic, the, the organic stuff, the stuff they're already doing. Right. And sometimes I was, well, you know, the the win, <laughs> the reason codes make don't make sense. Like you get a reason <laughs> code called competitor, it's like, well, that's not a reason for losing, that's who you lost to. That doesn't tell me why right. you lost. Um, so it's a standard ask to, Tell us about your win losses, wins and losses. And we look at that in diligence too. Invariably, you don't have the level of granularity. The, the actionable insights don't exist routinely in the companies where we are investing, again, that five to 15 million. Um, it's not a criticism. It's kind of a natural thing that, you know, that as you're growing and building companies at that stage, you're, you're, you're doing, you can only do so many things at one time. Um, so the way you kind of get the light bulb to go off in the portfolio company is just ask, you're always asking the question, and then you start to say, well, what, what does that tell you? And it, and you figure out that it, <laughs> it breaks down a bit where they, they can only go so far with the insights that they've gleaned. Sales reps only fill out the field half the time. The reason codes don't make sense. You know, you're not getting good objective data. And then that break, that creates the opportunity to say, hey, we've got a relationship. We, we know a firm that does this quite effectively for a relatively modest amount of money. Why don't you give it a try? That's what we introduce you. And, and as you know, it's turned into you know, productive work for both of us. I love that. I'm so glad I asked that last question. Thank you, Chris. Thank you so much for all your time. This was awesome insight. And I think it aligns really well to our, our uh, target, which is really getting board members and CEOs to understand the, the value and impact they can get out of these programs. So thank you for being gracious uh, and generous with your time. Grant, thank you. It's always a pleasure. Hi everyone, I'm Jody Geiger, Revenue Enablement Coach at Clue and host of the Winning is Women podcast on the Compete Network. On my show, we're giving a voice to female sales leaders, coaches, and enablement experts. We're spotlighting their perspectives and wisdom, their experience and their heart, their vulnerability and their power so that our wider revenue community can feel their impact like their organizations already do. So join me July 7th for the season two premiere of Winning is Women on the Compete Network. Thank you.